Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. My name is Ethan Knight. And we have returned with number three on the AFI Top 100 number list. Three. I know, really up there in rarefied air with oh. 1942's Casablanca. Casablanca. Ethan, had you seen this before? I had not. This was a brand new one for me. It's very interesting because I have seen this before. Oh. It was actually this time last year. Oh. The only time I have seen a film after having started the podcast. Seen a film, well, <laughs> seen a film on the list having yeah. started the podcast. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that was because I was part of a summer camp in which it, we showed what was called plays on film to oh. high school students in the theater program. So this is the first film. So I watched it once the night prior, then once the day of. So this is actually my third viewing, seeing this film. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said this was interesting is that I think there's a lot to be gained by having seen this once and going back and looking at actions, dialogues, just little movements. Because I think this is, I'm really putting my cards up front. I think it's a very efficient film. Mm-hmm. And I think you get a lot out of knowing the end game, knowing people's ultimate motivations, and then seeing them play out even in the first few seconds of the film. I think that's that's really interesting. But mm-hmm. to not get even further of ourselves, why don't we listen to a plot synopsis? Yes. Uh, so Casablanca is the story of American expat Rick Blaine, his former lover Ilsa Lund, and her now-husband Victor Laszlo. Set in 1941, Rick runs a cafe, bar really, in Casablanca, which has become a notable stop for refugees fleeing Germany. It is, in fact, the last stop on the way to America. Well, I guess maybe that's not true. I no, Lisbon. Yeah, it's on the way to Lisbon. I, but anyway, it's they're trying to get to America. Many refugees languish in the city for years, unable to return home, but also unable to secure visas to move forward. Rick, who tries to be uh, apolit- or at least says that he's apolitical and impartial, has a history of fighting for the underdog as he worked as a gunrunner uh, for Ethiopia and fought on the loyalist side during the Spanish Civil War. Further, though Rick owns the bar, he's never seen drinking with anyone despite attempts by many to do so. Rick is approached by Ugarte, who boasts of having letters of transit that were stolen from two murdered German couriers. These papers allow bearers to move freely throughout German-occupied space and therefore are of immense value to the refugees stuck in Casablanca. Ugarte plans to sell them and asks Rick to hold on to them for him. Ugarte is arrested before he can sell the papers by crooked police chief Renault, who is forced to host Nazi officers. Ugarte is killed in custody. Matters are further complicated when Rick's old lover, Ilsa Lund, arrives. She convinces Sam, the club musician and best friend of Rick's, to play As Time Goes By, a song with meaning for the two ex-lovers. When Rick hears it, he becomes furious at Sam, who he is instructed to never play the song, but is shocked to see Ilsa. She and her husband, Laszlo, are fleeing Germany as Laszlo is an important resistance leader. Rick reveals that he's been saving his first drink for Ilsa, and breaks his rule of not drinking with guests. Laszlo, of course, seeks the letters of transit to continue his work in America. The Nazis, hosted by Renault, on the other hand, hope to stop Laszlo, but are prevented from direct action due to the unoccupied status of Morocco. 
Laszlo begins inquiring about the papers and learns from important black market figure Ferrari that the papers may be held by Rick. Rick refuses to sell at any price and tells Laszlo to ask his wife why. At the bar, the Germans begin to sing a patriotic anthem. Laszlo leads the rest of the patrons in singing the national anthem of France to drown out the Nazis. Rick is forced to close the bar. However, Rick awaits Ilsa drinking heavily. She returns and explains that when they were lovers in Paris in 1940, she thought her husband was dead. Just before she, Rick, and Sam were going to flee Paris, she discovered he was still alive and abandoned Rick at the train station. To spare him more pain, she did not tell him the details then. Uh, Rick agrees to help her and Laszlo, and Laszlo arrives to collect Ilsa. He again <laughs> begs Rick to help her. Uh, Laszlo is arrested shortly after on a false charge, and Rick tempts Renault with the possibility of arresting Laszlo for possession of the papers, which Rick allegedly plans to use so that he and Ilsa can escape to America. Rick double-crosses Renault, however, and forces him to help Ilsa and Laszlo escape. Rick refuses to let Ilsa stay with him at the last moment, saying she would regret it for the rest of her life. She tearfully leaves, and when Nazi uh, captain, or whatever he is, Strasser, arrives to intervene, Rick shoots him. Renault covers for him, and the two talk of joining the Free French as the film ends. Strasser's a major, by the way. Major. There you go. I knew you'd know that. It, I mean, it, he's the not, he's the bad Nazi. He's That's the bad the, Nazi. Well, there are a lot of bad Nazis. Well, they're there are. all bad Nazis, but he's the big bad Nazi. He's the antagonist in many ways. There's Italian fascists there as well. And then, of course, Morocco is supposed to be unoccupied France. But you have Renault, who clearly is playing this line between free France and the Vichy government, mm-hmm. which he ultimately makes a decision along with Rick, right, to be on the side of the good guys. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know, bittersweet, happy ending. Yeah. What do you think of it? I mean, I know this is your first viewing, so I'm really interested to hear what you have to think about the film. Oh, I, I think that this film it deserves its spot this high. It, this film, I think, the, the how did you put it? You put that it was neat or it's efficient. It's a very efficient film. It's efficient, yeah. and I think that that is, is a perfect way to describe this film. Uh, it I think it really has so much compelling material in it. Uh, and I think that so much of it is so well done. Um, it, it is, it is a well-crafted film. Um, it's got some strange, complicated things. The sort of papers are kind of a MacGuffin. Uh, and you know, a lot of the political intrigue, I think ends up being set dressing really for the relationship between the three, main players and and it and it's it's just is the perfect backdrop it i mean yeah i think that this is just such a well-crafted film such a well-acted film a well-cast film i mean it just is fantastic it's so compelling yeah i'm not sure the letters of transit like that would exist in actuality right there these two papers that fill in the blank and no one can rescind the orders because they come from de gaulle himself evidently and that's why the couriers were killed for them but mm-hmm. if we accept that premise then yeah they become this most important item specifically in casablanca right so yeah. whereas MacGuffin's power is usually more ephemeral and not quite clear True. how it functions like this seems to be 
it is incredibly special because we're in Casablanca and we're all trying to get to Lisbon to get out of here to go to, I think they call it in the opening narration, like the freedom of the United States or something, right? So I agree with that in some extent. But I think the relationship thing is more complicated because it's not just that the political intrigue is background. It is intrinsic. It is it is essential to this film that both the relationships of the individuals as well as the national relationships play out at the same time. Yeah. Because that's what makes this film a piece of propaganda as well as a really good mm. film. Yeah. And it's not a secret that this film was made with propaganda purposes in mind. Yeah. In order to help sway people to the idea that we really should be fighting Germany also, right? I can't remember when this was filmed. If it was before Pearl Harbor, I kind of think that it was just because of that scene where Rick and Sam are there at night and he says, what is it, December 1941? I wonder what they're doing in New York. I bet they're asleep in New York. I bet they're asleep all over America. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know December 1941, very specific uh, time frame for World War One or for World War Two with yeah. the Americans because of Pearl Harbor, right? So I feel like they know about it and are saying... You know, having Rick prophesize basically like America needs to wake up and what wakes them up, it's Pearl Harbor, right? So I wonder if it was filmed after that. But I think this is true that most Americans still were undecided about going to war with Germany, even though, you know, Germany did declare war on the United States after that. But I think they're saying, look, that's a Europe problem and our problem lies with Japan. But I think this really did sway people to engage more with the european front as it were no i i mean i think you're right i i think maybe i was a little uh quick to to say that a lot of the political intrigue is um set dressing because i think you're right when you know i i think that there's a lot of stuff that that ends up in this movie uh relating to the political intrigue i guess that you don't i guess what i was trying to say is you don't necessarily need to understand all of what's going on all of the nuances as long as you understand the broad strokes enough to to see it as as a political work right and and to see how rick you know moves through this world supposedly apolitically right Mm -hmm. uh and and i guess at the end of the day right the part of the story is his persuasion away from supposed apolitical you know life which is a metaphor i think for american involvement in the war definitely well it's more of an allegory right because rick is emblematic of the american in this film he is supposed to be isolationist he's supposed to be pragmatic but he's got this internal compass who, that points him in the direction of right, ultimately. Yeah. But that's always a question up until the end, right? We don't know if he's going to betray Laszlo, if he's just going to take revenge on the world, as Ilsa says, because one woman has wronged him, or if he's going to do what is ostensibly the right thing, right? I think the movie does a good job ironing out why she needs to be with Laszlo, because Laszlo though he's this like messiah figure for the resistance he's still a man and he would be broken without ilsa and he is above kind of like petty reproaches and jealousies like he knew pretty much that ilsa had rick in her life 
when she was in Paris and he was mm-hmm. like, look, there's no explanation needed. Like nothing is wrong. He's just like above it all. Right. So he's just like objectively the best person in the room. But yeah. it also makes him least interested dramatically. But it seems clear that she needs to be with him, even though both she and Rick want to be together. But when you weigh it ultimately against like the costs and what they're actually going to pay for this, it's like, well, it's it's better off this way. And that's why Rick has to make those overarching statements to Laszlo at the end to make sure that he's still going to be able to continue his work and also try to convince Ilsa. Although I think all critics are in agreement that she never is going to believe that that she was not in love with Rick or still isn't in love with Rick and that Rick isn't in love with her. But it's it's the lie they tell themselves in order to keep going, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that I think really is the part of the genius of this movie is, is that last like 30 minutes where all the pieces have come together and you, and you as the audience member are, are as though one of the, as though you are one of the participants, right? Because you with them are like, what is, is he telling the truth? Who, who will they betray? Who will she go with? Will she live? You know what I mean? And, and what is, and we as the audience also have to try to disentangle what is right. All of what you've just sort of laid out about Laszlo, right? We sort of figure out, I think, in real time as we watch it mm-hmm. with the characters. And I think that is really effective. Yeah. I mean, we as Americans with a set of conventions for our films, especially a film like this that's in more in the noir than not, right? is that we think, oh, well, Humphrey Bogart, he's our guy. This yeah. Paul Heinrich guy who plays Laszlo, we're not as into. We want to see him get back together with Ingrid Bergman. And then we realize throughout the course of the film, oh, right, there are things more important than just mm-hmm. a small romance. And it's it's one of those hard truths where you're like, but wait, we want Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman to be happy together, but that's not what this film is, right? This film is about personal sacrifice for the greater good yeah i think i think you're really really hitting it spot on there it is about personal sacrifice and and we see that repeated again and again and again right especially with um ilsa you know she she tries to do the right thing when she finds out that her husband is alive by by leaving Rick right and mm-hmm. not telling Rick and not which therefore I think sort of I think that's her attempt to not implicate him in what's happened right he just sure. doesn't know right um, and even when she shows back up she tries not to t- tell him to spare him pain or to spare him that uh, which, which of course is something that's kind of backfiring on her right like he. It, it does ruin his life and maybe leaves him worse off than, than before. And of course he's so awful to her because he thinks that she's cold and, and heartless. Right. Uh, but when he f- learns the truth, how do you, how are you angry at that? How can, you know, how can you not, how can you not do the right thing at that point? Right. Well, it depends on how self-interested you are, but yeah, I mean, Rick comes around because he's got that internal core. Yes. But it is interesting to think about Ilsa's relationship to Laszlo because when she tells Rick the story the first time she comes back to the bar at night, she says when she was a girl, she met a great man. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's very easy to put the pieces together. That's Laszlo. So mm-hmm. it sounds like she was married off very young and mm-hmm. had this deific worship of him yeah. almost as opposed to an actual romantic relationship in the sense she had with Rick. So in that mm-hmm. sense, they represent two different kinds of love. And this is a love more out of duty than a love of passion that she has with Rick. So mm-hmm. it further complicates it, that relationship. And I think that's important because it'd be very easy to flatten her more and say, oh, it's just she just Laszlo, Rick, she can't decide. Right. But it's a different kind of love. It's a different kind of relationship right. she has with both these men. And I think that does the film a great favor because I think it could be written off a lot more if it were otherwise. Yeah, and and you know one of the things I really thought about too with with this sort of love triangle is that you know it's in some ways really kind of irresponsible for Laszlo to have uh, you know a, a romantic partner at all, mm-hmm. right? With the kind of sacrifice that he is willing to do, it's also perhaps just as bad to deny him that bit of like self-actualization right like for all the good he's doing he deserves a little happiness right but but also what he does to to ilsa by being this sort of you know rebel leader and and having to you know pretend to be dead and and all of this i mean is it's not good for her either right like the the good and the bad is not clear-cut enough that there is that the film is sort of shrouded in this ambiguity that I think works just so well. I mean, and that I think is is good American storytelling, right? It is all it's all about ambiguity. I mean, even back to Nathaniel Hawthorne, right? Like it's all about you know the having ambiguity in the story and having that ambiguity function uh, as as sort of the driving force, right? Because if things are clear cut, then you're either doing right or you're doing wrong. But it's not here, even though it kind of is, right? Like there's just a, there's just enough order, I think, in this in the messy relationship between these people and the sort of political implications of all of their actions. Yeah, I mean, to your earlier point, I do think, like you know, it's my favorite catchword, but ambivalence, right? The idea that mm-hmm. we want people to be happy on a personal level. Lazo deserves that. Rick deserves that. Ilsa deserves that. But Lazo's also, like you say, this resistance leader, this messiah figure of you know free France, but also the war against Germany in general. Mm-hmm. And their marriage has to be kept secret because of that. Very Spider-Man vibe, right? That like no one can mm-hmm. know because it puts my loved ones at danger, which is something of an irresponsibility. Right, it's not a danger. You're putting someone else's life in danger because you wanted to be happy, right? And mm-hmm. she does too, obviously, and does love mm-hmm. him. But it does compound the difficulty, right? It's not as clear cut. And another ambiguity is also that we don't really know Rick's background of why he's not allowed back in the United States, right. though we do know he has resistance history behind him, right? You mentioned the gun running and also fighting against the fascists in Spain. So we know there's 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 precedent for their goodness, but it's always shrouded enough to where you don't know where their decisions will lie. Same with Renault, actually, because he mentions to Strasser that I was there when they blundered into Berlin in 1918, mm-hmm. right? So he was fighting in World War One against the Germans. Mm-hmm. 
And fighting with the Americans, yeah. Yeah, and it's such a flip line that he gives, but it really shows that, like, yeah, maybe he does blow up the wind, like he says, or maybe there is something deeper to him. We we ultimately find out there is, in fact, something deeper, and that he's going to join Rick in the fight for good. Right. Oh, and, and Renault is an interesting character, too, because he's, I mean, he's pretty explicitly doing, I mean, he's trading visas for sex, right? There's that whole little subplot with the, the couple that's leaving, that's trying to leave Casablanca, and it's it's pretty spelled out that Renault wants her to sleep with him, and then he'll get them through, and she's newly married and all of this, and that's sort of Rick's turn, right? When we see him come in and he goes to the gambling table and gives the husband uh, the drop so that he can win the money so that they don't need to trade sex for visas. Uh, and and Renault is kind of like flippant about it. He's like, when the next girl comes in, don't, you know, don't, don't let her win or whatever because he wants to <laughs> fuck. And then he ends up, you know, and he, and he does make sure that... Uh, uh, Ugarte dies. I mean, he's implicit in that too. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's more Strausser than him, but very much yeah. he is pliable, right? He's pliant to the will of others who are stronger than him, and that's how yeah. he survived in this, you know, unoccupied yeah. France and Morocco here. So, I think that is important, right? Again, on the surface, these are not good people, but when the chips are down, they yeah. will make the right choice. These people you know, given the right option. And so I think that's why Claude Rains has a great performance as, as um, Renault in this film. And, you know, I think it's a, a maybe hard past time. We should get to our pivot in this. Right. Um, but you mentioned this has his turn. I do think that's right. I think another possible pivot is when Laszlo gets the national anthem started up. And that's what causes mm. Strausser to realize how dangerous Lazlo can be. Mm. And Rick realizes this also. But I think the thing I'm going with is actually much later, right? It's actually an hour and 20 in where Ilsa has returned and she's going to get those those papers in the cost. And really, this is where we see what we think is the worst of Rick, right? Where he's like, I'm in the market mm. for me. All I want is my happiness. I don't care about the world. Ilsa accuses him of wanted to take his revenge on the whole world for him being hurt by one woman. But we see that he's already has his plan set, right? He's already going to do this right thing. But this is, I think, ostensibly the lowest moment. And she pulls a gun on him and he's like, you'd be doing me a favor, right? So we just know this is, this is our hero at his worst. Um, You can also kind of see it as like the 20 minute romantic comedy, like where the the couple breaks up and then they come back together and it's all better. But I think this is obviously a much more eloquent one. But let's go ahead and take a listen to this. Mm-hmm. How did you get in? The stairs from the street. I showed you this morning you'd come around, but this is a little ahead of schedule. Well, won't you sit down? Richard, I had to see well, you. There's Richard again. We're back in Paris. Please. Your unexpected visit isn't connected by any chance with the letters of transit. Seems as long as I have those letters, I'll never be lonely. You can ask any price you want, but you must give me those letters. I went all through that with your husband. It's no deal. Well, I know how you feel about me, but I'm asking you to put your feelings aside for something more important. Do I have to hear again what a great man your husband is, what an important cause he's fighting for? It was your cause, too. In your own way, you were fighting for the same thing. I'm not fighting for anything anymore except myself. I'm the only cause I'm interested in. Prisoner. 
Richard. Richard, we loved each other once. If those days meant anything at all to me. I wouldn't bring up Paris if I were you. It's poor salesmanship. Please, please listen to me. If you knew what really happened, if you only knew the truth. I wouldn't believe you no matter what you told me. You'd say anything now to get what you want. You want to feel sorry for yourself, don't you? There's so much at stake. All you can think of is your own feeling. One woman has hurt you and you take your revenge on the rest of the world. You're a, you're a coward and weakly. I'm sorry, but, but you you are our last hope. If you don't help us, Victor Laszlo will die in Casablanca. What of it? I'm going to die in Casablanca. It's a good spot for it. Now, if you... All right. I tried to reason with you. I tried everything. Now I want those letters. Get them for me. I don't have to. I got them right here. Put them on the table. Now. For the last time, put them on the table. If Laszlo and the cause mean so much to you, you won't stop at anything. All right, I'll make it easier for you. Go ahead and shoot. You'll be doing me a favor. Okay, I think I've pretty well explained why I've chosen this as the pivot. Uh, but, you know, really, there is so much in this film that could be a pivot, but I think this is a good place because it's right before everything kicks off, like you mentioned, like the ending of this. And I think, what is it, like a quadruple or quintuple cross at the end? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we have the cross with, well, I guess it starts a double cross using the vernacular, right? With mm -hmm. Rick and Renault, right? He sets up with Renault and then he double crosses Renault to help Laszlo then he triple crosses Ilsa by putting her on the plane with Victor and not the other way around. And then Renault crosses Strausser at the end. So it's like a quadruple cross as a finale, yeah. which is very exciting. I mean, a double it cross is. is fun enough. You don't expect a quadruple, though. Yeah, and, and this is one of those things. I think this is maybe a good example of what I was trying to talk about earlier where, like, you don't need to know, like, the, the actual, even just right now, trying to disentangle exactly what happens uh, is kind of tough because it doesn't really matter because in the moment, you can see, you're with it in the moment, right? Um, and it is, it's, that those last, like, 20, 30 minutes of this film are really exciting because you don't know what's going to happen. It's ne it's not clear that anything is going to get pulled off. It's not clear it, it, if people are really going to side, you know, with the people that we would like them to side with, right? It's not even clear that anyone's getting out of there. Well, I think what you're set with in those final minutes is the question of, is Rick really going to go through with this? Because at this point, yeah. as a viewer, you have this unease about this personal relationship taking precedent over world politics. And I think it's a question of, where do Rick's loyalties actually lie? Yeah. Yeah. Is he going to take the selfish route or is he going to take the selfless route, right? Yeah, and then how are we going to feel about that when the credits roll if one right. of those options is taken other than the other one, right? So I think that is the great drama. It's, it, it manages so well an expectation already in place, right? A lot of films, when they give you a binary like that, will they, won't they? Either result is not that surprising because you can anticipate either 
But when you're presented with a much more complicated thing, whereas yes. you don't expect a quadruple cross, it's far more satisfying because it wasn't just plainly one of those options, right? Sure, he picks the global over the personal, but it's more intricate than that. Yes, and well, and it's be, it's because there are there are stakes at so many different levels as you've said there's the global stakes and then there's the personal stakes but there are even levels of of the personal stakes there right like what what can you get away with and what do we think is right and and how does it play out right because this is you know in an, in a parallel universe this is a a tragedy right the lovers can't be together Mm-hmm. And and must be you know and and this ending becomes this awful terrible thing. But here it's it it is this weirdly hopeful and and almost I mean it's a nostalgia right? It's this sort of pain of of not being at home or not being you know comfortable um, that that we lose. And nostalgia in many ways is as we know uh, as people who are watching films in two thousand twenty. Um, Nostalgia is very potent, and people people really like that. And I think that this film really latches onto that without being too morose, without being too uh, celebratory. Right? It's it sort of picks this perfectly moody finish, right? Mm-hmm. That that walks this very fine line of 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 greatness. I think because I think you know a few steps one way or the other would have sent this film to be either sort of hokey and and overly melodramatic uh or sort of like too tragic uh and it and it doesn't it does it feels very different from our last movie on the list that the Martin Scorsese film right uh which is in terms of a lot of the the feel and and sort of some of the themes right i think that, that they're similar yeah, in terms of the tragedy of a person's life. Yes. But with Raging Bull, LaMotta doesn't really have a greater world stand to take. Like, in some ways, no. Rick is privileged by being able to enact great change in the world through his actions. Yeah. Or as yeah. LaMotta never could, and that's really the focus of that. But I do think maybe we should turn to our three questions. Yes. Before we do that, however, let's talk about Anchor. Okay. So the first question, what do we owe to this film? Oh, what do we owe to this film? Well, if it's not blindingly obvious, I think that there is so much of, of films like Indiana Jones, even though that's really a much more adventure forward kind of film, that feel and, and that sort of tone, I think, is, is here. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's this exotic location with, you know, uh, sort of typified characters that, that maybe go beyond their their sort of stockness, right? Because as you pointed out, uh, Rick is the sort of stock American, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Laszlo is this sort of like stock messiah figure. But there's but there are layers to that, right? There's more to it than the, than the simple two dimension uh, two dimensions of, of character, right? Um, and I think that that's uh, we we just see that in in a lot of these movies that are aping the Indiana Jones, like I said, you know, that apes these uh, big movies from the from the forties, thirties, forties. So there's that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I think more about the the way in which Rick represents the American, right, is that he's kind of like Renault, where you think, oh, he just says what needs to be said to get past the situation to make sure he survives, right? Looks out for himself, doesn't stick his neck out for anybody. But there's this good core, and that's aspirational for the American, because what we also heard of this film is really our position against Nazi Germany in the early 40s before we had joined the war against Germany itself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things I've read in preparation for that camp last year was that this film actually did work to enact change in thought in an American population against the Germans, not just the Japanese, right? Because you can imagine how weird it would be get attacked by the Japanese, Germany declares war on us, and we think, we got to go after Germany first. Everyone's like, wait, hold on, what? Mm-hmm. But it's no longer just a European problem, right? And we have right. to enter into it because, like Rick, we also should know internally what's right, even at great personal cost. So I think we owe a lot of our American foreign ideology at the time. Remember, this is a contemporary film, right? They're, yeah. they're releasing in 42. It's set in 41. Yeah. This is, this is current, right? This is current politics, and that's why it has this propaganda value, which I don't mean to to be dismissive of or or denigrating of, right? I think it's important to note that propaganda can be used properly to continue the the yeah. alliteration. Well, and I and I think that I think that truly this film asks us to consider what it means to be apolitical, right? Um, and that is to say that no one is apolitical. You can't be apolitical. Uh, and the it, you know trying to be apolitical makes you somewhat monstrous, right? And that's and that even as a theme, right, sort of trickles down. It that works at the global level, but it works at the personal level too. Yeah, not making a choice is a choice. Yes, exactly, right. Um, and and saying you're you're apolitical is political, you know. I also think on a much smaller note, I think there's a strip club in Texas called Rick's Cabaret, which I suspect is named after <laughs> Rick's Cafe Americaine. Uh, I should be clear, I've never been to it. I've only been to a strip club once, and it was for a drag show. So There you go. We should move on to our second question, however, which is, yeah. does this film hold up? The answer to this is, is without a doubt, yes. I, I Again, I think that you know, you you called it efficient, and I think that it, this truly is. This is on the shorter end uh, for us, and especially this high in the list. Um, and there, there's just not. I mean, everything has been trimmed. It this story tells you everything you need to know. Every frame is important. Every frame does something. It, it's beautifully shot. Um, yeah, I. I I don't know how, I mean, I guess it's black and white and there's some sexism and shit because it's the 40s. But I mean, this, it's paced so well. It's, the acting is spectacular. Yeah, a lot of these um, actors we've seen before, right? Yeah. Claude Rains was in the Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yes. Peter Lorre, Sidney Greenstreet, and Humphrey Bogart were all in the Maltese Falcon. Bogart was also mm-hmm. in... Oh, shoot. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I almost forgot the title Sierra for a Madre, second. Yes. So these are all people we're familiar with. I, I haven't seen anything else with Ingrid Bergman, but I know she's very well-received. 
And you mentioned this being black and white. I think that's always a favor to a film yeah. this old. I but agree. even when you, I think the first time I really noticed it, struck me every time I've seen this film, is when she's listening to As Time Goes By, the first time Sam plays it when she's there. And you just look at that shot. One, it's really well done. She's emoting perfectly. But just look at the clarity on the screen and think, like, how is this shot in 1940? Like, this is ridiculous. This looks amazing. Yeah, it it really does. In high definition, it there were a few times, a few, uh, like, large shots of, of crowds that I was like, this... I mean, it looks it, it looks like something you'd you'd film today. I mean, it looks crisp. Yeah, beautiful film, very efficient yeah. in terms of everything that's done and said and seen. As I yeah. mentioned very early in the episode, I I think there's a lot of value in going back to it. Right, even early on, you see that Humphrey Bogart doesn't deal with Germans. Right, there's that mm-hmm. German guy who wants to go to the gambling. He throws him out. Right after that, he's handed a check by a waiter saying, look, it's from some Germans. He tears it up, right? So you, there's all this story here that you can ultimately see where Rick's going to go, but you don't know, of course, until you've seen it. I think there's a lot of value in replaying it. It's a 100-minute yeah. movie, very low opportunity cost to watch it. I think it's still funny, right? My favorite joke is the German couple about to go to America, and they're oh. practicing their English, and he says, what watch? And she says, 10 watch. And he says, Ten such watch. much? Such much. Oh, then, my God, yes. Then Carl's like, oh, yeah, you're going to get along beautifully in America, right? And that that was one I actually rewound it really quick because I was like, that i was like is that that's a fantastic joke yeah because because it's set up you know oh we can't wait to go to america we only are speaking english now and then <laughs> they are not speaking english well at all and he's like you're gonna do just fine it's it's wonderful it it truly is but i think we should move on to our third and final question yes do we care about this film i think the answer is unabashedly yes yeah i think it's quite easily one of my favorite films period it's just very good i love it so much i don't know how you're not filled with all kinds of warmth and desire to to go out and help freedom fight with humphrey bogart and claude rains which yeah i think they had plans for at some point to do like a tv show or thinking about it but then ultimately decided like you you can't it's unimpeachable right you cannot go and do like a sequel of any kind to casablanca yeah no i mean and i think that's actually uh a lesson that would be um, very useful, I think, to a lot of filmmakers today, right? With everything trying to be franchised and, and you know, sequelized and, and all of that. Sometimes it's it's just good to let a piece of work stand on its own. Well, Sometimes I mean, that's you the can't end of make the money on it if, if you don't continue it, right? Yeah, so that's true. It's the difference between artistic vision and economic reality. Yeah, but but I but I do think that there this is a great example of, of sort of showing with you know the sort of economics aside, right? That like sometimes if you if you have a good end to a story, that that it's it becomes. I mean, there's greatness in that, right? Um, knowing knowing sort of the parameters, where to start and where to end. Uh, and and sort of understanding that. I mean, this is something that we could, you know, we we've talked a little bit about the Star Wars movies recently uh, because we watched them for for the Patreon, and you can see there those those films if you go back and watch, especially the newer ones. There's it's not it's the opposite of this, right? This works so well because it's so t- the story is so tight, so that at the beginning every action 
has consequences or tells us something important, right? But when you don't have a, a well-plotted story, right, when you don't know what the ending is uh, in any way, then you then how do you have a good beginning, right? How, how do you make good on a lot of those things? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you, when you intend for something to continue on forever, there is some impact lost, right? When you don't have the sort of agreements of time and place and care. I mean, that's a very old-fashioned sort of view, but, but there is some merit to that, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's another story to be told with Rick and Renault out in the desert fighting nazis right i would call it rick and renault and it's like basically right. a buddy cop thing and and rick is like with a submachine gun and renault is with a little pistol right. like i mean i'm all in for that but it's a different story and, yes it's a, it is and you could do that with something else right like what is the great drama in their arc that they're gonna find nothing right like they've already done right. it their story's already been told and so at that point it might as well be some other property so I agree, even though I would desperately want more Casablanca, I know it would not hold up in the same way. Yeah. And so we'll keep the 100 on Metacritic for for yeah. Casablanca. But yeah. that'll be it for this episode. We're going to put this one to bed. We will be back next week on Patreon with another Humphrey Bogart film, which I've heard is his best performance. We'll see if that's actually true with 1950s In a Lonely Place. We will see. But until then, I have been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. Well, Matt, I think you need to round up the usual spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.